Hello and welcome. This is Outside the Mic. I'm Jarrett Weimer. And I'm Chet Atkins. I'm sorry, I'm Martin Meyer. <laughs> gotcha. Chet Atkins. Why Chet Atkins? I don't know. Just popped into me. Just channeled that? <laughs> Very good. Uh, this is a podcast where we banter all matters music. Mostly we do here on Outside the Mic. Welcome to episode two season tres. Tres. And we're having a lot of fun here on OTM in Great Sky Studio. We Marty, are. how's your week going? My week is going good, Jarrett. How is your week? It's busy. It's cold. We just got some snow. Yep. I guess we, we could say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have this debacle going on yeah. where you know we're pre-recording episodes. I mean, any podcaster is going to be like lame, but we're pre-recording yeah. episodes and uh we're trying to we're trying really hard not to reference the day we're recording because obviously the episode debuts at a later date yeah this will be sometime in february we're recording in january the so it did snow today but you know when this episode released it's probably going to be like sunny <laughs> high of 62 i probably not that high but i like your prediction i like the way you think i'm an but optimist the cat's out of the bag Ah, last night we played, yeah. what was the call? Guess the thing or? Well, I forget the name of it, but it was basically um, going over a lot of, they call them idioms. Idioms, yeah. Idioms. Mm-hmm. I wonder if an idiom is different than an adage, because I thought adages were like those cute little sayings like that too, like you let the cat out of the bag or you got up on the wrong side of the bed or one of those. Dudes. Never heard of adage. I've had some cabbage in my life. Uh, not the same. Adage. Oh, thank you, Google Google Girl. Google Girl. Welcome. Back. It was a dude earlier. So it's it's basically an adage is a proverb or short statement expressing a general truth. So it's kind of the same as an idiom. What do they say an idiom is? There. Uh, what's the What's the definition when one word means the same as another? What is and that called? I mean, what's the word? Synonyms. Aren't synonyms. They? Yeah. In music, we'd call those enharmonic. <laughs> yeah. Eh, sort of. Yeah. It's uh, harmonic. Uh, it's the same thing, but it's kind of similar. It's, it's it's very similar. They both have the same value. They both have the same definition. Have you ever known somebody who says similar? Similar? Of, yeah. That would drive me nuts. Yeah. People say similar? Yeah. There's another one that I've heard recently that a lot of people accidentally say, and I'm not, it's not popping in me head right now, but it will later. But similar. I've heard people like, <laughs> like yes, it's very similar. And I just kind of bite my tongue because I I don't. I, that yeah. would drive me nuts. That would that would absolutely drive me. It's like my wife and I always talk about. And no judgment if you do this because we catch ourselves doing this. Mm-hmm. But when you say when you don't enunciate the proper T, like you say it's different. <laughs> it's different. No, it's different. It's not different. It's actually different, isn't it? I mean the way it's spelled. But everybody says. Oh, so now what? You're we always shorten things. You're a Webster. Excuse me. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a beep. Jarrett. No, maybe a beep. You know, we're not explicit, but we're borderline sometimes. Oh, that's something we could talk oh, about. We've got, so we've got some fun things planned. Hold on two. one second. Okay. 
before we get too far away from it. He's holding and his then finger. You go, Idiom is a group of words established by usage as having a meaning not deducible from those of the individual words, like raining cats and dogs or cedalites. So I don't know what the big difference is, but it's a form, yeah, a form of expression natural to language. I think they're pretty similar, but why, that was- Why do they good. do that? I don't know. Why? Do, no, no, listen to me. Why did they, when you're trying to, you're looking up the definition of a word and then they use an even harder, longer word in the definition, deducibly, deduce, deducible? Deducible. deducible. I mean, give me a break. It's obviously for guys like me who are like, I got to look this up. What does this mean? And then you go ahead and you throw, we don't want to spend all day looking at the dictionary. We just wanted to get through the one word. Anything to grab your attention and suck you in. No, I'm irritated. doing thing. Well, okay, just breathe. <laughs> breathe, oh. little Jedi. Breathe, Yoda. So anyway, back Jedi to where you, are. you were starting to say something. About oh, no, we're just going to talk about the schedule. interviews. Oh, right on. Yeah, let's talk about the interviews really quick. So coming up, we've got some really cool... Uh, guests that are going to come on. I don't want to give names away just yet. Um, but We're not going to give any names away? Well, not yet. Okay. Let's All let right. it be. I want a little bit of a, a dramatic effect. I want a drum roll, please, let situation. It let it be. Whisper words. I'm just giving you a little backing track. Let it be. And here we are today in the Lennon let it be. Chronicles. We'll be talking about how his wife has a song where she screams have you seen yoko that video where she's like doing a live performance and her the whole song is like Aah! have you seen that that was, that was beautiful Jared. you have you got if you I've, haven't seen it yet and we can't show you because of copyright but uh if you haven't seen uh, it yet you look up yoko oh ono and she's doing this thing it's almost like she's standing in an art gallery i could be totally wrong it's been a while since i've watched it i have it. i i do believe i think I you i think if, we've watched it together because we've had a moment where i'm like dude you've got to see this and i showed it to you i'm just happy you backed away from the microphone when you when you did that because after was, like your sasquatch yell i was gonna say bit. after sasquatch i've learned yeah. that if i don't turn my head completely around and scream we clip squatch yoko squatch yoko squatch i think she's foot. done many sort of bizarre things in expressing um music we'll have to feature some of her music sometime we'll have to on, feature on yoko we'll have to get her on the show but uh, i do recall that does vividly sort of ring a bell <laughs> not that <laughs> What you did was exactly what she did, yes, but maybe it was. Yes, it was. It was maybe a perfect it was. cover it was of the song. Perfect. So, yes, we're going to have some guests. Yep. And we're going to kind of uh, rotate them every other week, something like that, right? For yeah. For a while, anyway. I mean, we don't have so, a definite plan of when they'll show up in the season, but we okay. definitely have some cool... I know we keep saying it's cool, but you're going to see it's really cool. Uh, it's a way for yeah. some outsiders to join us. Yeah. And then we actually get some insight into some really cool stories of some musicians in their life and what they've done. So it's it's been super cool to, yeah. to investigate that and plan that out. Yeah, stay tuned, outsiders. It just might be you. What if we just randomly call somebody up like we did Matt that one night? That was kind of fun. <laughs> I don't know if we're mad. He was like, yeah, yeah, I, I guess you could call me. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> he was. A, that was our first little and, and only so far our first little soiree into having a phone guest. Sure. So I yeah. don't know. I don't know if I use that word correctly either. But anyway, we're all about that. It's the dictionary, the thesaurus of OTM. What do you got? 
today. Should Jared, we talk we about some music move on now? before the show's done and all we've done is talk about what we're going to do? Okay, well, let's talk about this. Um, I mean, let's talk about music. Let's talk about this. What the heck? Yeah. Uh, we're going to start with On This Day in Music. Now, we've had Ooh, some... I've though. had a comment, and I just want to address it real quick. We had a comment in the survey that we did said... Address. You know, it's cool that you do this On This Day in Music, but I don't always listen to it on that day. That's fine. We're just offering tidbits in history that you may have not heard of that could, if you are listening actively on the release day. Okay. There you go. If you're not, hey, now you know what happens in February. Well, since we already did... I'm sorry. I took Are you one. eating a banana while we're... <laughs> Marty, we've talked about... <laughs> Yeah, we're not videotaping right now, but nobody wants to hear you sloshing an anner uh, around in your yeah, mouth. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you put it that way, <laughs> <laughs> nobody does. But um, now I totally forgot what I was going to say. Oh, we already talked about the record date versus this. So when you do a, this day in music history, are we just going to not say the date? Because then it, it doesn't matter that much unless it's somebody's birthday and they're it like, oh, be, cool. That happened on my be birthday. Cool. Yeah. I mean. Why not is what I say. Why not give it? And then okay. if they're listening that day, I just picture, you know, Joe Schmuck is driving down the road. It's February 15th and they're going, oh, I didn't know that about Beyonce. I don't know. Joe is one of our biggest outsiders. Yeah. There's Joe Blow and Joe Schmuck. Joe Schmuck. Yeah. So, no, I think it's fine because I think, and and I'll leave that up to you. You're doing the list. So if you want to give the date. That way they can reference the actual date, and I think it's fine. It doesn't matter when this gets released. And the thing is, you get people, we've talked about that before too, that listen to your podcast later. Yeah. I've found podcasts and just started listening to them, and the episode was probably recorded like three years ago, and it doesn't really sure. matter. Yeah, There's yeah. going to be stuff that's relevant to the date and not. So Right, or relative to your... Yeah. You know, your favorite band or artist or whatever. And just cool to know. Right on. Right on. on this day in music, February 15th, 1962, Ray Charles. Oh, so you, you're doing the date of the... I got you. All right. Yeah. Uh, never mind. I thought Let you were going that the again. Ray Charles yeah. recorded I Can't Stop Loving You at Ooh. United Studios in Hollywood, California. I can't stop loving you. The tune would go on to top both the U.S. and U.K. charts and be included on the LP... Modern Sounds and Country slash Western Music, which Way would lead go, the Ray. Billboard album chart for 14 weeks. I love Ray. Thank you. You saw the movie, Ray, right? I saw the movie, Jamie Foxx, yep. Brilliant, <clears throat> brilliant. Okay, we got February 15th, 1964. The Beatles. The Beatles. They're the always Beatles. in the news doing something. They're always on this, yeah. Scored their first U.S. number one album with Meet the Beatles. Huh. The album stayed at number one for 11 weeks the album sold over 4 million copies in the U.S. by December 31st, 1964. 64. No wonder I grew up with the Beatles. Because I literally grew up with the Beatles. I wasn't... I think you and I had discussed this just a little while back. Uh, I wasn't really swept up in Beatlemania, so to speak. You didn't get the bug? N no, I mean... You didn't, I, you didn't get the Beatle bug? I didn't get the Beatle bug till later. Hmm. And I'm now a huge, huge fan of their songwriting and, and what they accomplished but no I wasn't I don't think I was old enough to get swept up in Beatlemania and then by the sure. time I started listening to the Beatles I was also listening to rock and roll a lot so then it wasn't like yeah you know I liked their song um uh like get back stuff like that that oh, was a yeah. little more rocky little more but rock. what was the one revolution revolution because yeah. I like the heavy guitar but now I appreciate everything so Thank right, you. you are a you are a Beatles fan. Oh, I thought that through was your phone. 
That's your phone. Okay. Uh, Marty's phone was vibrating on the table and it was going. (laughs) Sorry about that. We got February 15th, 1965. I'm sorry to tell you this, Marty. American singer and pianist Nat King Cole died of lung cancer. His first hit was the 1943 Straighten Up and Fly Right. Had the 1955 U.S. number two single, A Blossom Fell, and 1957 U.K. number two single, When I Fall in Love. Plus, over 20 other U.S. and U.K. top 40 singles, he is the father of singer Natalie Cole. Yeah. In 1956, he became the first black American to host a television variety show. Television. Tell us about your love for Nat King Cole. Do your I best just, Nat King Cole impersonation. I, just, I don't know. I can't even right now. I just, <clears throat> no, it, it's, I'm not. Like, you know, it's been a long time. Obviously, I'm over the fact that Nat King Cole isn't around anymore. It's sad. It makes me sad to think that Natalie is also not with us anymore. Oh, I didn't but know But, I, you know, that's where the, the little... Um, I just realized that. I was a pretty young lad, and I obviously didn't even know who he was. And yeah. then he was gone. And, uh, you know, lots of artists. We've talked about that before. They just went... Way too young, and I love Nat's voice. It's one of my favorite all time. I just uh, very unforgettable. By that, so. It was a hole in my life that he left. Well, see, now I don't need to do it. You did it. It's perfect. That's why, dog. And that's good, Jared. That's just about enough. <laughs> <laughs> all right, moving on. Here, let's do. I'll do Natalie. <laughs> unforgettable. Unforgettable. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> February 15th, 1988, after singer Joe Elliott had referred to El Paso as the place with all those greasy Mexicans, Def Leppard were forced to cancel a concert in El Paso after they received threats that the gig would be disrupted. Screw you, Joe Elliott. Joe Elliott said that? that? Yeah. You know, I hate to paint somebody out as a bad guy, but that was a stupid thing to say. Right. And and maybe he just said it and he goes, shoot, I shouldn't have said that. Or that's that's pretty, that's pretty forward. Have you had that experience though with artists or with with members of bands that you really enjoy? For for me, and I love Don Henley, great songwriter, whatever. But I've seen some interviews where I'm like, he's not the friendliest fella. No, he's he can be kind of mean. Yeah, Billy, Joe Elliott, you lost a point with me today. No, and I think we touched upon that last season because I know there was something I mentioned about Billy Joel. And the way he had treated his his original band, and I'm, it was one of those things where I felt like later I wished I didn't know that, because it does kind of you know you have a little bit of a jaded. I mean, it's maybe it's obviously jaded for a reason, but yeah. that's kind of where you know with outside the mic. I guess we haven't done that a lot where we found a story that it's like here's our outside the mic story. This guy was a total you know. I wouldn't say dick or something like that. But yeah, that that happens. Sometimes when you learn about... Sometimes it's better off just to listen to the music and not know much about what the person. What people need so. is where to make them smile. It's not so hard to do when you know how. Whoa, whoa, listen to the music. Okay, I have Turn a lyric fast. question when you said that. Because it... Is it... It ain't, ain't... No, I think they say ain't, maybe. It ain't so hard to do if you know how. What did I say? You said it's not so hard, but um, does it freaking matter? I'm curious now. Go ahead with your rest of your. That's was that the Doobies, right? Well, listen to the music. Yeah, yeah. February fifteenth, two thousand. Yeah, this is the one I thought you would like. Okay, not the not the the El Paso one with Joe Elliott. Sorry about that. It St- ain't. Sorry, I found it already. But here's that's that's funny because people were like, "Ain't ain't a word." <laughs> But they say what the people need to do is what the people need is a way to make them smile. It ain't so hard to do if you know how. 
Very cool. Thank you for using the proper grammar, though, Jared. You're very welcome. I tend to do that. You, you know me. Go ahead. February 15, 2000, Sting pulled out of a concert in Vienna in protest at the inclusion of Jorg Hader's far-right freedom party in Austria's new government. Lou Reed had also canceled shows in the country. In Austria? In Austria. Wow. In, in Vienna. Okay. I, uh, my... Sting mm. tends to be very... He cares about his politics. He does. He yeah. does. I made that's a good statement. I'm sure he made. You know, my niece is going to Belen is going to be is going to Austria. Oh wow! She's going to be going to school in Austria. Very cool. Yeah. That's is it going to be? I mean, obviously, there's probably English speaking, and she speaks good English. Is she going to have a heart? Is there Spanish speaking there? She has to learn some German. German. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's my yeah. descent. I love German. You know, that's the von Trapp family. I believe was Austria. Yeah. I yeah. think I should I should fact check that, but I think it was Sound of Music. Right. That? You've seen the movie, I have right? seen Sound of Music. Thank Good. you for questioning me, but I am seasoned in my music Good. movies watching. I'm glad to know that. February 15th, this is the last one. February 15th, 2015, Mark Ronson's Uptown Funk reached the 1 million sales mark 10 weeks after it was first released, becoming the 158th track to reach the millionth mark in British charts history. The song, from the soundtrack to the Fifty Shades of Grey film, also became the most streamed track ever in the UK. Let's talk about that. Let's. I'm amazed that, I didn't. first of all, I didn't realize it was in the Shades of Grey soundtrack. I did like that song. That's a good song. Or I do like that I like song. The, I mean, it's the, kind of a, the bass... The bass is so funky in that song. Yeah. Obviously, it's called Uptown Funk, but it said it's funky in that song. Well, and you said it became the what? How many had made the million? It mark? reached the one million sales mark in just 10 weeks. And how many other tunes had done that? It doesn't say. Oh, I thought it said it became the 150th or something. Oh, 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 oh it did. Release becoming the 158th track to reach the millionth mark in British charts history. That's just British charts. Okay, okay. I take it maybe Mark Ronson is British. That's kind of a lot when you think about 158, but yet overall, when you think about the scope of the entire music mm, yeah. sales industry, it's not that many songs. So Could it be, but, but one song reached that, not a whole album or so, right. one song. Right. You're bloody well right. You've got a bloody right to say. <laughs> Awesome. I love that. Okay, that's it for On This Day in Music, February 15th. Thank Whoa. you for listening and participating. Thank you, and tune in again for Outside the Mic. We'll see you guys. Wait, oh no, we're not done yet, are we? We pull that joke every we episode. We do. It's like I'm so bad. So sad, but... Uh. Martine. <laughs> yeah. What you got for us this week? Oh, you know, you're the meat and potatoes man today. I and, can go um, first. I, I'm not... I'm not a, you tell me how you want to roll it. I think we should go with your meat and potatoes story, get right into it. And that okay. way, if we end up taking an hour doing it, we might just save my little segment. I just got a little, uh, I got a little flashback for people. I'm who, a big fan of your little segment. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to throw that in there. Boy, you're all about being. Uh, We're pushing the. Yeah, uh, the pushing that envelope Parental today a little bit. advisor, yeah. It was subtle. That's okay. That's but, subtle. Um, I am going to do a, I've got a little piece of. Uh, not trivia, but a little piece of music um, industry stuff that you made me think about today because you were listening to Aerosmith when I came in. Thank you. And then we'll get there. But then also a B-side because we haven't done a B-side in a long time. And when we, we our not. very first episode ever, we talked about we almost called this 
B-sides. B-sides. That's true. We almost did. Yeah. But it was taken. I think there's a podcast out there called B-sides. Called B-sides. Yeah. And I think, you know what? When you look back now, I'm so glad we're called outside the mic instead of B-sides. Yeah. I am too. Good call. Yeah. Me. Yeah. <laughs> Way to go, Jared. <laughs> Let me pat you on the back. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. I you. slapped your face instead. No. Just, okay. <laughs> go ahead. So I'm going, huh? Yeah, you go. Okay. This is a really cool story. All right. Um, and I'm going to try to tell it. Both as a narrative, because it's historical, but also I want to comment on a lot of things with you. Does that okay. make sense? That makes sense. Okay. So this is the story, and maybe once I say the names, you might know what's going on, but just act surprised. Okay, so this is the story of John Roberts and Joel, shoot, Rosman. Rosman. Rosman? Joel, Ros- shoot, Joel Shoot Rosman? Do you know this guy? No, but I know it. I went to school with a guy named John Roberts. It's John Roberts. John Roberts and Joel Rosenman. Isn't that weird? And we also have a friend, which was my wife's friend, who I got I befriended through my wife, and his name was John Roberts, or Robbers. Really? I think his is Roberts with a D. Oh, I've never heard of that before. We're getting but off topic here. We are, but John Roberts, who I have no clue who that is music-wise. Well, and he's but, not really a musician. Okay. Just listen, just listen, All just right. listen. All right. So this is the story of John Roberts. And Don't interrupt you then. Don't interrupt just, me. Okay. Gosh dang it. Okay. So just listen. All right. Got yeah. It. You good? I'm, Why don't you eat your banana? Okay. John Roberts, Joel Rosman. This is the story. Okay. And how a single idea turned their world around along with music history. I wrote that down because I wanted to say, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not read everything, but I thought that was really good. It changed. This is going to change music for history. And I'm going to find out Wait, who these guys are. Yeah, I'm not going to even tell you. Okay. You're going to, it's going to be another a guest thing. Cool. So, Roberts and Rosenman, they're fresh out of college. Roberts attended the University of Pennsylvania. And Rosenman rec- rec- was, a, was a grad, a recent grad of Yale. So, again, neither of them really attended anything music-wise or in the industry. They were destined to be close friends, both young boys. They were young in their 20s. When were they young in their 20s? In the 60s. This was in the 60s. Like like mid-60s. Okay. Both young boys figuring out what they were going to do with their lives and how to progress through the spinning ball we live on. I wrote a great introduction. That's why I'm reading it. I like it. I like your intro. Okay, so... I'm not interrupting you. When Roberts was young, his, his grandparents, I think he was 21 at the time, mm-hmm. 1966, his grandparents had passed away. Okay. And they were very wealthy, and they left him an inheritance. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it was roughly worth 250000 which if we if we did the whole, uh, what do you call it? Inflation. Inflation. Ad- adjusted for inflation, yeah. It, he'd be a millionaire. Right. And this was so, Roberts? This is Roberts. This okay. is John Roberts. Yep. Got it. So... However, they set up the inheritance that uh, he could only spend the interest gained from it initially. Hmm. And that he would receive the principal amount in like three-part increments as he got older. So he was 25, he reached, he received oh. this. He was 30, he received this. Yeah. Smart. Which actually the interest from that would probably be a fairly... He'd, I mean, he'd be able to live comfortably. Modest amount back then. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. he did. Yeah. Yeah. So he met... Um, so he met Joel... Yeah. And the two friends, um, they shared a lot in common. They hadn't had the slightest idea of what they were going to do with their lives at that time. Again, they were in their early 20s, young boys. 
Um, they weren't musicians at the time. They're not musicians. Let's okay. just let's uh, just put it out there. Yeah, not at musicians. Least clarify that. But Good. they did both agree that they wanted pers- wanted to pursue a path in the entertainment industry. Okay. So um, by 1967, the two pals shared an apartment in New York City and had set off on their first uh, big adventure in in entertainment. They were gonna they were gonna try to dive into the industry. Okay. Their first idea that they had was creating a television series. And it would be it'd be based off of their life in, in a sense. Uh, the concept it, it revolved around rich kids, which they were rich young kids, and they were looking for investment opportunities. Okay. So each episode would basically portray them going out and you know exploring their investment options, and along along that trail would be misfortunes and and misadventures and trouble that they would run along that's kind of where the drama would come into it sounds like like an early reality tv show concept right yeah Yeah. Yeah. and so um were they acting in it as well then is that how they so they bought a camera it hadn't hadn't even started there they were just writing it all right um but they quickly ran into a roadblock with the tv series they could not come up with enough business ideas enough enough business ventures to create enough episodes for the series okay so i'd be like we couldn't have come up with enough b-sides to to be called (laughs) called b-sides yeah yeah. (laughs) so as you would do in the 1960s they put an ad out in the paper and here's what the ad said okay young men with unlimited capital looking for interesting legitimate business opportunities and business propositions Mm -hmm. so basically they would Put this ad out and people would come. This is what they thought would happen. People would come, give them their ideas, and then they would use those ideas for the TV series. That was the plan. Well, in, in saying you have unlimited capital is certainly a good way to draw yeah. some interest. And they didn't because remember, this is this is just a year mm-hmm. after, shortly after uh, Roberts had received his inheritance. He hasn't received the principal. He's not received the full amount. He's right. he's just got he's just living off the interest. Yeah. Well, good thing, because obviously, even if that were not the case, the potential is there for somebody to just say, I'm not going to do anything because I can just kick back now and right. So he's got to do something surfing. Yeah, he hasn't gotten his inheritance yet. He's got to do something. He can't just be a a bum rich kid. Well, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have necessarily had to. Is what I'm saying, too. But that's a good way to. To set it up to yeah. make him more motivated to do that, but on the other hand, he still could have said, "It's like, yeah, I'm making enough. I can just rent a little shack and go dink off at the beach or something if yeah. I wanted to." But I'm, I would prefer yeah. to dink off at the beach yeah. myself. <laughs> right. I would take that over anything. But but you're right. Uh, yeah, but he was motivated. That's good. Yeah, Joe and Joel. So to their surprise, John and Joel, the pair had re- received like thousands of replies to this ad. Hmm. Really cool. Something like 5,000, it said. I'm not surprised. So they began uh, meeting with some of the prospects, and, and, and a lot of them had crazy schemes and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, of all of those, they had rece- they had gotten the idea of building a recording studio. And hmm. so that's what they did. They actually, they, they kind of, I don't know if they ditched the TV series ad, but they did end up building a, a recording studio called Media Sound. In New York. And I don't know if it's still there today or if it's changed. Maybe that's something you could look up really quick. I might do Media that. Sound a, Recording Studio in New York. Media Sound. Yep. I thought you were going to say that was the thing they hit on this big famous nope. studio. It gets but, even better, Marty. Okay. 
So while Good. so while the boys are building their recording business and they're uh, they're promoting it, um, their lawyer, their business lawyer, contacted them, telling them that there was a it was two men they should meet with. Um, and I don't know if you know these guys, Michael Lang and Artie Cornfield. Oh, Artie Cornfield. Yeah, sure. Okay, I, I don't know him, but they. Oh, the really? Name, no. <laughs> Well, I thought maybe you did because he had written a bunch of hits, I guess, back in the day. And I don't know what they are. didn't have time to look that up. But that's what he he was was noted in this article for writing several hits. And he was the youngest at the time. He was the youngest vice president of Capitol Records. Anybody with the last name Cornfield, I just want to be their friend. Well, and in the article, it kind of described them as like total hippies. They were like the epitome of the 60s hippie michael lang and Artie cornfield like the lawyer literally said he was like hey i suggest you meet with these guys but don't make your decision based on their appearance on on michael and Artie's appearance. yeah okay yeah okay mm-hmm. real quick just to i did look it up and all, Media I, sound I, all I can studio. say is i found something which it already is kind of interesting it just says the former location it has a picture and it says once a baptist church this was the location where the Rolling Stones recorded Tattoo You. Oh, so, so maybe I, they did continue the recordings in the Media Sound Recording Studio. Well, and interesting enough, it also says other artists that recorded here include Aerosmith wow. and Lou Reed. So there's another little connection. There's there. a trend going on Aerosmith today. Aerosmith thing today, yeah. But that's the former location. I don't know if there's a Don't dive any location. deeper because it might give it away. Okay. Don't dive any. Close your lid. Be done I'm, with your I'm computer. I'm off the diving I'm board. Just kidding. I'm like, here we go. Okay. Close your lid, pal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. I mean, Michael Lang, and I already told you a little bit about uh, Artie Cornfield, but Michael Lang, he had worked in the music industry in Miami, and he owned a head shop. Do you know what a head shop is? I know what a head shop okay, is. Okay, yeah. d- explain to me what a head shop is. Because he was, he basically, he promoted concerts is kind of how he became so, so involved, and he had networked so much in the music industry because he did this. What's a head shop? Well, you take it portraits? just so happens, no. <laughs> You take mug shots, head shots and mug shots. And so he was just like, he owns a head shop. You're serious, right? No, I'm not serious. I'm not serious. Okay. I'm not serious at all. Okay. So I'm you never kind of know what a head shop is. Oh, wait, is that what it does? No. Oh, no. shoot. Then what? Not my, from my perspective, and maybe there's another meaning, but I always thought, yeah, I grew up in Aberdeen, South Dakota, and amazing to me because it wasn't legal back then. But we had, I think it was probably when I was just starting high school, a record store opened up called Prairie Dog Records. Huh? But And it was the coolest little record store down on Main Street. They were also um, a place where you could go buy paraphernalia for smoking. Is that what a head lot. shop is? And that was what we called a head shop. Oh, yes. okay. Yes. Very good. Well, that he became very well known in the music industry, obviously. So. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. For taking portraits uh, and handing out drugs. That's you, you had no idea when you heard head shop though. That I had, had no idea to do with that. Okay. I had no idea, and I well, didn't I'm, look it up. I'm you gonna, know me. I just I'm, get the I get the gist of it. I'm gonna double check just to make sure there's not another meaning. But continue, please. So the two music guru, gurus mm-hmm. pitched the idea to the young entre- entrepreneurs of opening a recording studio in the Catskill Mountains, just north of New York City. And so at the time, big name artists like, and he keeps appearing in all of our segments, Bob Dylan had had homes in the hills and, and it would make for a great location because a lot of big name artists lived in this in the hills and they thought if they build a recording studio there, it would be easier for these big name artists to come record at their studio. What hills? 
the Catskill. Mountains. Oh, in the Catskills. Cool. Yeah, because yeah. it would be an attractive place to just hang out. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, however, Roberts and Roseman weren't interested in the idea of opening another recording studio as they were currently working on building and promoting their their current recording studio in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, but they played along and they and they asked the two how they planned on promoting the studio. Hmm. Listen closely. Mm-hmm. Essentially, the studio was far from the New York music scene and if the big cats didn't go and record at the studio how would they market it how would they promote the studio cornfield and lang responded didn't go to catskill right yeah they responded that they would hold a big music festival that featured all the local artists and would essentially draw attention to the remote recording studio oh a three-day music festival no is this woodstock the story of woodstock baby Oh, sweet. Okay, I know those names. That's probably why. I was going to say, I know you You know yeah. a lot about music history. So as I was rattling off the names, I'm like, he's going to get it. But I'm glad that you didn't get it because it's great for the listeners. No, and I still can't, you know, I can't honestly say I'm like suddenly like, oh, but yeah, that, some that Joel on. Rosen or whatever. But yeah, I, I'm sure I've watched something where their names were mentioned. Yeah. as part of it so yeah i could be pronouncing it. his last name wrong too and that doesn't help ever cool i want to just before you continue just to interject really quickly because i had to look up the name the origin for head shop it says the 60s were a drug-soaked time and ah, this you was were the right 60s. yeah it says so it makes sense that the first head shops began appearing in major cities in the middle of that decade people who partake of certain substances are also known by na- by names such as a pothead so that's another way the term head shop could have gotten oh, could have gotten the name. So. It's all coming together. These names, somebody didn't just come up with them. They are connected. Yeah. And it says a shop specializing in articles such as hashish pipes and roach clips of interest to drug users. Yeah. Which now it's going to take on a whole new meaning because now we're in the age of legalization. So there we right, go. Right. True. We are. Yeah. Thus was the first conversation of the three-day music festival Woodstock. All to promote... A studio in the Cats. Yep. This was the start. Okay. And go to go even further back, it started because a couple of rich kids wanted to do, to do a, a TV show. Wow, how cool. I mean, yeah. if you think about every detail of fate leading to that, I mean, from the parents leaving the money in the first place, right. they were instrumental as well. Right, so, wow. right. And you wow. think, how many ideas have you had that weren't really music related or, you know, they started in one spot. Mm-hmm. And then it just morphed into yeah. this this other idea that took off. You know, yeah. how many stories are like that? And this is one. Like the idiom of snowball rolling the down idiom. a hill or the adage of rolling The adage yeah. of cabbage. Yeah. <laughs> the four men became partners, uh-huh. business partners. Uh-huh. And uh, they were the original... Uh, dudes that put on this festival <clears throat> so michael, i'm just going to get into michael Artie, Artie, joel joel and john and john got it it's like the fab four <laughs> the fab four yeah mm-hmm. they went on to become a, a four-piece motown group cool i'm just kidding <laughs> aren't you impressed though that i'm actually paying attention enough to remember you're actually all paying attention names. this yeah. time yeah <laughs> good good um so everyone knows it to be this outrageous festival music festival that went on all weekend uh-huh. Um, there's photos, there's, I mean, Are some there? of the best, yeah, there, you know, you've seen the photos of the big crowds and all the, the yeah. hippie people sitting around and seen stuff. A, seen a few photos of Woodstock. Yeah, Woodstock, <laughs> right. You gotta yeah. be careful of the photos you view of Woodstock, but mm-hmm. it was the sixties. Mm-hmm. 
Um, however, it was a huge loss for these investment partners. That I knew, yeah. So the festival sold $1.8 million worth of tickets. Okay. And that was at that time. Wow. But the expenses outweighed the gains. So 250000 went to paying the musicians. Do you know what the ticket prices were? I have no idea. Maybe okay. you could look that up. I might. Um, $250,000 went to paying the musicians that played. So Jimi Hendrix, uh, who else? Jonas. Jonas Chaplin. I can't. I've seen some great footage of Jonas Chaplin's performance. I can't talk. Jonas Chaplin. freaking talk. So Jonas Juplin was there. Jonas Juplin. Oh, Lordy. Janice Joplin. <laughs> yeah. You know everybody that was there. What am I even talking about? Okay. Go Anyways. Ahead. Um, and on top of that, mm-hmm. it had left the the farm, the area that the festival was held. It left it in just shambles. So the cleanup was super expensive. Plus, on top of the event, after, there was said to be something like 80 lawsuits oh, against yeah. the, the festival. So the expenses ended up being like $2.8 million. It was a mess. Well, I one thing I recall, and this ties into the ticket price and what you just hit, you said, is that I, it, I believe from watching documentaries or whatever that there ended up being a, a lot more people than they anticipated, right, actually. Yeah. But advanced tickets sold for $18 each wow. is all. And you said they sold $1.8 million worth of tickets? So that's what? That's like a million people right there in advance? But over Fine. three days, though. So I don't know if maybe it's okay. $18 per day or something like that or, or something like that. Um, could be. I don't know. You would think that would be the price of a ticket for the three-day. Because yeah. it says right here, three-day ticket. Oh. And it shows a picture of it, and it's $18. It shows six, $6 per day. So ah, maybe you can buy one. just a day ticket. You could have bought, bought, bought a three-day. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I didn't even know that about the yeah. concert. So, all right. Cool. So they knew that they had they had lost a ton of money on this deal um but and they i were, was wrong it wasn't a million it would be less i'll do the math but okay. continue <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah they crunched the numbers right. Martin. yeah i will um they they kind of banked on that the recordings and videos of this festival because something like this had never been done they they had hoped that later it'd be worth some money and of course yeah they were right um, that would be a hundred thousand people buying an eighteen dollar ticket. Holy so, cow! Yeah, yeah, that's not as you know. I mean, that makes more sense. You didn't have a million yeah. people showing up, and so. maybe not at the same time. Like right. some people left and came, right. as a festival does. Yeah. Um, so, being that they had a huge loss in money, uh, and and everything was the vibe was was tense. Um, and because of that situation, the parties began to turn against each other. Cornfield and Lang against Roberts and Roseman. Uh, Cornfield and Lang ended up being bought out by Roberts and Roseman, each paying thirty-one, roughly thirty-two thousand for their share. That to me just seems like it doesn't add up. But I guess if you're if you're trying to buy somebody out on, on an event or the, and I'm my I'm guessing they were going to plan to keep doing the event because it was so huge. Thirty-two thousand just doesn't seem like enough. They were bought out. After, after, because they're was, they're trying to pay for okay. the debts. Yeah, and and but they also knew like this this was historical. This was a historical event. Sure, we want to keep rolling with it, but hmm. yet right now as it stands, it's not making us any money. So hmm. I guess thirty two thousand. I mean, I guess that makes sense. But something it, that sold for one point eight million. Yeah, 
I don't know. Well, first of all, my my questions that pop into my head right away are you would think back then that actually 1.8 million would be quite a lot of money. In quite a sense. lot of money. Yeah. yeah. And yet they didn't make money. Not, not yet. Because so of the artists. They, they, they had to they, pay all the artists. They and, had a huge loss because of the artists, the cleanup, yeah. the, like the expenses of the event. The uh, incurred they, expenses that they didn't anticipate. But they're and, banking off the royalties right. and earnings of recordings, yeah. videos, pictures, all of that. Oh, after yeah. That's I mean, what they're and, banking on. And you on. couldn't even possibly perceive. Could you hear that crap? Possibly. <laughs> possibly. Excuse me. At the time, consider what a huge impact going forward that that's going to have. But they obviously did plan to do it again if they yeah were and it's that, really yeah. cool the ending and so let's talk about the ending so let's it, do it. <laughs> it wasn't until so this when did this take place what did i say 1968 1967 i don't know i don't what? know when was junis joplin born <laughs> kind of, okay sorry no yeah. it was like what 68 yeah i think it? you're right yeah it wasn't until the 1980s did they finally break even from the initial woodstock festival no yeah can you believe that? So this, what was their organization, their their company called? Do you know? I have no idea. What I do know, <laughs> that doesn't matter. But yeah. what I do know is Roberts, because he had that huge inheritance, he was trying to figure out a way how he could draw on this money mm-hmm. before he had it. So he ended up, he went bank to bank, couldn't find anybody to give him a loan. We finally found a bank that would give him a loan uh, with a lien on the the money that he said to from the inheritance. Mm-hmm. And that's how they they got by off of this until the 1980s, where they were able to to break even, pay a So they off. were still they were a relevant, active uh, company or whatever you want to call it, but they weren't doing concerts anymore. They were making money just from Woodstock related. I'm guessing they became, of, and it talked a little bit about that. But these investors, they became like they had their studio, they had Woodstock, they okay. had, maybe they they kind of kept themselves afloat. Because they were yeah. these guys that created this event. I don't know. That is, it's really hard to wrap your brain around that, that that many years later. I mean, if it was 1980, it wouldn't be that much later. It'd be like 12 years. But even that. But 12 years to like try to break time. even yeah. on $1.8 million? Yeah, you would think the I would have like four ulcers by then. Yeah. I wonder how much that album, the original live Woodstock album. So I'm going to look that up. So yeah, look that up. Go. Um, it's cool, though. They ended up, the four original investors, they reconciled later, and they put on Woodstock 94. Okay, I forgot about that one. And then yeah. even, even further back, Michael Lang put on by himself Woodstock 99. Okay. Um, so that's super cool. Uh, it's sad. Roberts later dies in 2001, and his estate, though, is still collecting royalties from the original Woodstock. And all four men wrote books um, on the on the music festival, and the three remaining have gone on to have careers of their own. And I don't know, as of today, I don't know if any others have passed away. Um, the article that I had read just said that they'd, they'd kind of carried off into the sunset. <laughs> Does it say that in the article? No. <laughs> they were carried off into the I sunset? I paraphrase, but no, it, it said something like, yeah, they, they all had their own mm-hmm. careers off of this. I This is great. I love that you did this because it just... Um, it really, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a cool word, but it prompts all of this, all of these questions and all of this conversation about Woodstock. And I'm yeah. looking at, because my, I think I told this story before, but it's worth mentioning again. I remember my brother who, my oldest brother, who's eight years older than me. Um, what was it? Was it 60? It was 69. For the Woodstock? Uh, it was Woodstock, 69? Yeah. Okay, good. We clarified so, that. Yeah. And we moved from little town of Hoban, South Dakota, Aberdeen, South Dakota. And it was like in 71. And I remember, so it would have been maybe a year or two after the concert that he bought 
the live album Woodstock and I'm looking at the cover now and I remember this I wonder what happened to this album oh, dude. because they're selling used on eBay for like uh that shows an original Woodstock album $95 oh. uh vintage nine around 100 hey you know what else like they're that, selling but. that I saw oh, an ad came up on Facebook the other day probably because I'm sitting here talking about this you know how Facebook does yeah but uh <laughs> an ad came up you could buy a piece of the original stage as a wow. necklace yeah, and you you kind of go, really? Did they really keep the stage? Did they chip it up and have this plan to, to you know, make money off of it? It could I'll, be just any piece of wood, but there's supposed to be all this paperwork that comes with it that that uh, confirms that it was the original stage and, and stuff like that. I don't and know. how much was it selling for? I have no idea. Because you would, you would think it would be pretty like difficult that. to prove that this was part of the original stage. That's what I'm stage, saying. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, If those guys were really, really smart, but obviously they would have had to have some vision about what's going to happen. They'd have to be able to see into the future to know just how much this stuff could And it's hard worth, to know so. when you do something how the legacy it's going to leave, how long it's going to last before it's like, yeah, we did that. That was cool. So is it Joel Rosenman? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've been saying, I was, Rosenman. I, I was. <laughs> I you said Rosemen. Rosemen. But I'm looking in. Man. I uh, might have said it pretty quick. You you may have, but uh, I didn't say Rusan Man Man. <laughs> yeah, I you, didn't say Orion. You didn't say Roll Joseman. Roll so Joseman. Yeah, that right. Yeah, I'm looking at stuff where it's just giving these little factoids about it, and it says all told, Roberts Rosenman Lang and Cornfield spent nearly three point one million, which would have been fifteen million in today's money wow. on Woodstock. And it took in just 1.8 million. So yeah, they had a huge loss. Huge loss. Then. Yeah. So they obviously most of that money had to have been spent on the talent, which is good to know that they got paid fairly. The one that had the article that I read said 250 thousand went towards the artist played. That's so, all. So yeah. where does where does all this the money? Cleanup. I mean, that's what the article I read. Are the lawsuits and lo- the 80 lawsuits? Yeah. And it, it did really seems give like me a, a total of, of, yeah, of what the lawsuits would count, account for, but yeah. Huh. That's fascinating. I'm going to have to find out, um, boy, we could do a whole other episode on Woodstock. Right, right. Uh, but they did say that two people died at the festival. Oh, jeez. One, you would think more because of the drug use, but it says one from drug overdose and another from a tractor driver accidentally running over an attendee who was sleeping in a nearby field. And I do remember that it was like in the middle of nowhere on a, like a farm field. So that makes sense. Probably just all these hippies laying out in the, the freaking fields and just, yeah, you don't see them in the big, the big uh, rows of hay or whatever. Can yeah. you tell I'm not a farmer? No. And whose field was it? Because that that's that's been referenced in songs, and I should know. But yeah, I'm, and I and I should have looked that up. And I I knew in the back of my head, I'm like that kind of plays a role. Because didn't he like wasn't the, I, I could be totally wrong, but didn't he like donate the land like for them to use or something like that? I don't know, but it was Max Yasger's dairy farm. Dairy farm. I knew it was a farm. Bethel, New York. Bethel, yeah. And it rained. It was, I think a lot of the time it rained. It was wet. Muddy. You see pictures of these hippie, oh, they've got mud all over them. Oh, yeah. And and here's an original poster. Three days of peace and music. It wasn't so peaceful. And it, I mean, it really didn't live the, the hippie way because they destroyed the land. People were killed. Mm-hmm. I well, guess there were one, drugs involved. two people died. There was children were conceived. But how uh, many people? How many people got hurt? Oh, who knows? I'm not going to look. They I, were on I, the I, last. Yeah. They were they were hanging on the thread of their life. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Getting really dramatic here. Thirty two acts. 
performed outdoors despite sporadic rain. So I think, nice. you know, Max probably realized, you know, maybe he didn't realize how many people were there. But this is what strikes me as odd, too, because it says to an audience of more than 400,000 people. So they must have not, well, their math that at the time didn't take into account any kind of lawsuit or additional right. cleanup. Right. But they had to have been thinking if they had that many people, because I think that's more than what they anticipated. And in order to break even, if they were that far behind, you would have thought they would have had to attracted like a million people, which they certainly weren't anticipating a million people. Right. Woodstock. Right. So, um, yeah, there is, if you look at all of these things about Woodstock, there's a whole, we could definitely do a continued uh, Maybe we do a part two next time. I, I think next that would around. be neat, or at least just to kind of look at, it's such a monumental thing for, yeah. you know, the whole music industry and, um, you know, that era, especially the 60s, mm-hmm. the end of the 60s with Vietnam and all that. There was just a, it was a hardly, highly charged time in um in the world, in America, and in the music scene, on yeah. the music scene too. So, yeah, it. I mean, it cool. it changed history for yeah. sure. The music history for sure made. Yeah, made story of Woodstock. There you go. Martin. That's it. That's all. That's the rest of what you got for that. So I mean, that's then. the Good. rest so, that I yeah, found. Out. That's, yeah, that's that's fast. I had definitely had no idea that that was the origin story behind it. That you got these two guys. I'm I'm totally fascinated. I'd love to know more about their their lives individually, you know, how this impacted them, how it, you know, did they feel like it failed at first? Unfortunately, Marty, you know, that's, have, but. that's all I give on a free, okay. you can subscribe <laughs> to my, it's, it's 10.99 a month. You can subscribe uh, and we can discuss this further. Know, as you said, we talked about it and that'll pop up on my phone yeah. probably and it'll be like, <laughs> yeah, I mean that stage thing that would they cut up little pieces of it. I don't know if they made it in like guitar picks and you could have it as a necklace or something. I don't remember that, but I do remember cool. seeing that pop up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I really do want to find, because all I can find in looking up the album is what, what it sells for now. Well, let's do um, a let's do a part two. We're just deciding this. Let's do a Woodstock part two. I think we should have a uh, yeah a post meeting for this episode and just kind of whatever questions and people out there listening. This would be very cool if you hear this episode. Well, it probably wouldn't get included right away in the next episode, but we can feature it on a we live. can feature it on a live or a later episode if you have any just thoughts related to Woodstock or questions about Woodstock. I don't know. It it definitely let us, let us Google it for you. Yeah, it it stimulates conversation. <laughs> let us Google it for you. I'm just kidding. Oh, but we Jared, love diving into stories like this. So we, and to talk we do. to you guys about it would be great. And this was the impetus for the the beginning of outside the mic in the first place. You and I would get off on these conversations yeah, about something, and that and is the out. that really takes in the whole epitome of of outside the mic. It's something that was music related. What did I say that wrong? No, I'm not sure, but I. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Am I doing the George Bush thing again where I'm making up words? The epitome. No, the epitome is a word. I'm just not sure if it was... Edamame. It was, it was correct for that. <laughs> a person or a thing that is a perfect example of a part... Yeah, I think you were right then, Jerry. Wow. It, Let's take a, note. Yeah, let us take note of that. Epitome. Epitome. A person or thing that is a perfect example of a particular quality or type. So that would be the epitome. Uh, I'm sorry I interrupted you. So yeah, you, can you know what, dude? You need to just have faith in your partner, okay? Uh, oh, I always do. Thank you. If I say it's Orion, it's Orion. I have total faith in you. 
We keep referencing that Elvis <laughs> impersonating episode season two. If you haven't listened to Orion, there it is. Um, it's a great thing. I hate it. Okay. But no, it, it's like I love it. Woodstock is all about music, but mm-hmm. yet it didn't start there. It started with guys who were just looking to make some money in the entertainment industry. So this is super cool. It did. And I think we will definitely, and I'm going to make a note, we're going to touch upon this. I know in the Let's past- Let's do a part two. We've said that. And sometimes you outsiders might've wondered like, oh, I, I doubt anybody's too um, bent out of shape about us not following up on something that we said we're going to do. Nobody's writing in to keep us accountable. So no. that's on you guys. And when they start doing that, we'll know we've really gotten somewhere. So, yeah. All right. Well, I just have a quick B-side that I thought was interesting. Cool. And uh, we'll bring that in. And I think we're going to be able to wrap up in almost an hour here Great. today. Love That's it. It's pretty fascinating, isn't it? All right. So as we said, we talked about it. To, it blows my mind to think that we even conceived that we could have done a podcast simply based on B-sides. What were we thinking? What were we thinking? But I think even then, and the first time we discussed it, I think we both kind of said, is that going to be enough? Yeah. We're going to need we something We question that always from the beginning. Yeah. You know, are we going to, it's going to be a 10 minute episode and yeah. and it's only going to have one season and then we're going to go, well, what do we do now? Yeah. And what do we do now? So it's cool that it was even the impetus, the impetus, the, you know, the catalyst You're for, to for doing this in the first place. to me because I'm, I'm thinking well, of something else and I know I'm wrong. <laughs> now I might have to end up looking that one up. What too, am I but, thinking of? You know what I'm thinking. What's the word I'm actually thinking? I hope it's not something explicit again. It's a little explicit. Anyways, it's fine. We don't have to talk. Okay. Impetus means acting. I don't even say the word anymore. (laughs) Acting are done quickly and without thought of our care. So I think so. Yeah. We kind of like, we were like, okay, this is... This is the catalyst. We're going to talk about a boom. Here we go. Right. B-sides. So we were just like, let's go for it. Yeah. And I don't even know. Did we include any B-sides in season two? We might have I was going to make two. that statement, but I wasn't sure. And, okay. And I don't know. Maybe we did. Well, we got one today, remember. baby. We, we got, got one, one today, today baby. Yep. So 1976, and this could have been before your time, but full you're... score and seven years yes. ago. Do you remember the song "Beth" by Kiss? Kiss, I do. I'm not a huge Kiss fan, so I can't sing it for you. But I, Beth, yeah, you were such a good girl. No, Let me stick my long Beth, tongue out and show you. I know you've just totally <laughs> tainted Beth for me. <laughs> I put Not, my makeup on, Beth, don't you like it? Dun, 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 dun. I got my elevator shoes and my axe guitar. Dun, 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 dun. I'm going to chew on this fake blood. It's going to come out of my mouth. And then I'm going to get four of my friends. And we're going to form a rock band named Kiss. Because that's what I want to do to you, baby. I want to kiss you. There goes finishing in an hour or less. <laughs> you can- Good heavens. Do you want to just, you know, when this little seizure is over, let me know. I'm good. And then, okay. I'm done. Turn the mic off. So I was kind of, I have to admit, I was kind of a Kiss fan at the time. And I probably told this story again, but it bears repeating is my brother, Rod, was really into Kiss. and he Who's a great drummer, by the way, but go ahead. Sorry. He is a great drummer. And I, Kiss, to me at the time... I had a hard time liking them right away because I couldn't get past the makeup thing at first. Yeah, it was so crazy. I was like, what's that? And then I started digging their songs because they had some catchy rock tunes. My brother went to a concert. I think it was in North Dakota. I'm going to guess Fargo. And um, Paul Stanley took his bass guitar and smashed it on, sa- on stage. He had signed it. Paul Stanley, wasn't Gene Simmons the bass guitar player? 
we'll have to look again. It may be with maybe his guitar. You might be correct. It was his ukulele. Go. Yeah, his ukulele. Whatever Paul Stanley played, (laughs) he signed it, he smashed it, and then he threw it out. And my brother fought and got a hold of this and has the, you know. No, he doesn't. Well, I I don't know if he still has it or if if he sold it. This is a good thing to follow up on, too. Make a note. I want to see if he still got this. But anyway, that was kind of a neat deal about kiss back then i was like wow that's paul stanley's and i you know it was probably i don't know if it was the one he was actually playing or if he had an extra one there that he always smashed i don't know i mean you look at the who and how much they destroyed their stuff yeah it's definitely i don't know well who's who wrote the song smashing a perfectly good guitar was that john prine you, uh, have you ever heard the song that sounds like a john prine smashing title. a perfectly good guitar Okay, that's the, I don't know. We have all if sorts. You, if of it stuff sounds like that, it doesn't. I don't know for, if it's a John. John Pry would be like, and then I smash my perfectly good guitar. Okay, now I have to look. I had a Martin D twenty five, and I smashed it on a moonshine jar. See, there's no way we're gonna finish in an hour right now, especially yeah. with we've already lost everybody. John Hyatt. smashing a perfectly oh, good guitar. Have a little so, faith in me. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sorry. You are fired hard. up now, aren't you? Oh okay. my lord! I'll just go away. Outsiders, you know we're gonna have to have a special episode where we just let Jarrett kind of just improvise and go crazy. There's like a, and, a what's the the feel good cortisol yeah. level that I hit after doing a, a segment? I'm like, okay, my part's done. But go yeah, ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. Go, Gosh, go. Do it now. Me interrupting. <laughs> do it now. Got this Woodstock thing going. Okay, so I'm gonna make this really quick. The song "Bath" at the time seemed really weird because it was such a ballad, and I believe I don't know who wrote it. Um, it, but uh, it was a ballad. A lot of people kind of went like, "Kiss, really?" Because it was "Beth, I hear you calling," but again, but it wasn't intended as a release. It says the other members of Kiss didn't want Beth on Destroyer. And they initially buried it on the flip side of the album's third single in the summer of 1976. So the other members, which makes me think who was the... It doesn't mention in this who wrote it, though, which is kind of silly. I'm going to have to find that out. Sorry. Should have done a little more homework. I think it was maybe the drummer, Peter Kit, Peter Chris. But I'm not positive. So... Be anyway. sweet if his name was Peter Kit. Yeah, he Peter plays a Kiss. drum kit. Peter Peter Kit or Peter Kiss. It's Peter Chris. Mm. Okay, so seventy six, the bicentennial year. But what happened is someone named Rosalie Tromley's daughter. Rosalie Tromley had a daughter, and she fell in love with this out of character ballad. So Tromley happened to be the music director at a rock station in Ontario. Not even in the States, in Ontario, Canada. Wow. And she put Beth into heavy rotation, and it eventually became Kiss's highest charting single ever. No. Yes. And the band later reportedly presented Tromley's daughter with a gold record. That's awesome. Isn't Good that for cool? them. Just because of this young girl uh, who fell in love with this song, and then when you have somebody who's got the power to be able to put it in full rotation like that. It makes just, you realize what, what power radio stations had back then. It's just hard to imagine. I get it. And I get I get it. Mm-hmm. But going to a KISS concert and watching them play a ballad and they're dressed up like porcelain satanic demons. Porcelain. 
<laughs> say well, because of their white makeup. They're like, you know uh, what I mean? Okay. And then let's just have an intermission where Gene Simmons, uh, <laughs> he's got blood coming out of his mouth. But, oh, oh we're going to sing about this girl named Beth. Like, I feel sorry for Beth. Well, here's a little more. And uh, I was I was right. I, I'm not, not tooting my horn, but I my memory... I'm proud that I'm old enough and I can have a memory that even retrieves something like this. But Beth is a good. song by American rock band Kiss, originally released, released on their 76 album Destroyer. It was composed by drummer Peter Chris. Oh, cool. His friend Stan Penridge and producer Bob Ezrin. So it was a co-write. Yeah. Uh, Casablanca Records released it as a single in August 76 after it was released as the B-side of Detroit Rock City. No way. Originally, yeah. Dang. Detroit, a rock city. And then it totally skyrocketed past Detroit Rock City. Yeah, and I wonder if it's their biggest hit to date, because who knows, it might have been. That's crazy. I remember that being sort of a high school dance type slow dance song. There you go. You dancing with a girl named Beth? You were like, this song's for you. I did not dance with a girl named Beth. How many rock bands have, you've got Beth, you've got Angela. Angela, was that Motley Crue? Um, Angela? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was Motley Crue. Think about that. That could be an episode. How many many 80s rock bands, 70s, 80s rock bands that, that had a single ballad with some girl's name? Oh gosh, there that could be a whole Wendy thing for a live. Episode. What's that? They're not necessarily a rock band, but who's the one that? Uh, calling her name, da, 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 Wendy. <laughs> I don't know. That's really bad, but I just heard it at the grocery store the other day. Uh, My mom's name is Wendy, by the way. Allison. There's oh, uh, Allison. Yeah. You have. Um, we can do that for either Shoot, a live we're or an episode. Have to just do... a girl's name and a song. Yeah. Yeah, or a Facebook Live. <gasps> oh, yeah. What was it, Sister Christian? Sister Christian, know your time has come. They were going to fade out with that song. We're like now over an hour. Don't we you were, that know was our goal that you're the only one hour, But then Jared decided he was going to keep singing okay. every single song Dun-dun. that came up and even make up songs that weren't part of it. Thank you all. I suppose we ought to wrap this. <laughs> I think we ought to. We've had a fun today. We hope you did here on Outside the Mic. We certainly did. Yeah, again, Outside the Mic is your podcast where we banter all matters music. I'm Jarrett Weimer. I'm Martin Meyer. Mostly we do. Thanks for listening. Uh, stay tuned for future episodes and uh, catch up on past episodes. Find us wherever podcasts are streaming in your neighborhood. Outside the mind.